0: I want to welcome everybody here tonight. As everybody knows by now, the youth, we've got several that have gone to Tri-State, so their number's a little bit lower, but uh, we want to just wish them a safe journey and keep them in our prayers, and that Tri-State, that's good for our youth, and we appreciate, we want to hope that. They hear the word of God, hear something that brings them a little closer to to Christ. Well, tonight, I'll a lot of times have problems putting a title to a sermon. Usually I come up with four or five and can't decide. But uh, tonight the title of the sermon is, Can Anything Good Come from Nazareth? And that'll make a lot more sense as we get farther into the into the sermon. John 3:36 says, "He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him." Mark chapter 1 verses 14-15 says, "And after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee." preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Several months ago, I had this sermon put together and it's kind of just stuck in the back of my notebook, kind of as a just-in-case sermon. And that's kind of a sermon that's not 100% complete, but can be put together in a short period of time if it's needed. Uh, Doug had asked if I would had a sermon or two that I could pull together in case he had uh, had to leave because of his uh, brother having health issues. So I've had this pretty much written for quite some time now. But last week, Doug reminded me that this Sunday was the tri-state and asked if I wanted to preach tonight, so having sermons already worked up, said it wouldn't be any problem. Well, that Sunday sermon, both morning and evening, Doug preached on evangelism. And that's also tonight's subject that I'd already put together. So as Doug preached the second one on Sunday night, that second in a row, and well, actually more than that because the Sunday before he did, preached on evangelism, I started getting nervous. And by would tell him I was gonna change my mind because I didn't want to duplicate or didn't want to have to rework a whole sermon. Then I realized that we, we always preach using the same material, we all do, the Bible. Even if we use the same material, our sermons will do nothing but complement each other and we'll build on the message. That message, the one we just read, the gospel, Mark 1, 14, 15, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And that's the message we preach, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So why do we preach the gospel? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses nine through 11 says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are all, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your conscience. And that's tonight's sermon. It's on evangelism, preaching the gospel. But I want to approach this a little bit different way than about six months, maybe a year ago, I was, as I was studying the subject of evangelism, I came across two scriptures that I probably read a thousand times. But this time, for some reason, these two sets of scripture just, just stood out. So for tonight, as we look at the subject of evangelism, we want to look at these two verses, these two sets of scripture. One at the beginning and the other we'll, we'll bring in at the, uh, towards the end of the lesson and it'll make, it'll make a lot more sense that way. But first, let's consider the word evangelism. I know of no other word used by Christians that can strike fear in a man's soul. Unfortunately, it's the person doing the evangelizing that seems to experience this fear. For some people, all you have to do is say the word evangelize, and they just break out in a cold sweat. It's a word that many Christians simply dread and fear. But why? It's just a word. Personally, I think it's because we don't fully understand the word and concept, and for some and for someone to charge us to go talk to someone about the gospel, well, it just strikes fear of the unknown. The fear of failing, the fear of confrontation, doesn't matter if it's total stranger, our neighbors, our co-workers, or even our best friend. It still makes most of us uneasy to go talking to someone about their salvation for some reason. So for tonight, we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to look at the achievements, motives, and methods of evangelism and put them into a perspective that I hope makes the subject a little less intimidating. And hopefully, must, maybe, even make the subject a little easier to approach. But before we look at the achievement, achievements of the gospel, I want us to start by looking at the first of the two main scriptures for tonight's sermon. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 5. Here we're going to read where Peter and John, they've been arrested for healing the lame man, as recorded in chapter 3. In the first four verses, we read that the Sadducees were greatly upset because they preached in Jesus the resurrection. So they laid hands on them, and they had them taken into custody. Now it's the next day, and Peter and John were brought before the high priest to answer for what they had done. Acts chapter 4, verses starting with verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas Annas and the high, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, helpless man by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to, all, to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing that the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And again, 13 and 14, broken down. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John they marveled and they realized that they they had been with Jesus and they could say nothing against it. That part about and they realized that they had been with Jesus because Peter because of Peter and John's boldness they marveled and more importantly they realized that these men had been with Jesus. And because of this, they could say nothing against it. Isn't that how we should preach the word of God? With boldness? The word here, boldness, it, it doesn't mean being loud, or being overbearing, or even to have authority over someone it especially doesn't mean what we might say today as cramming it down someone's throat. As used here, the word boldness, it means more like someone having firsthand knowledge, confidence in that, one with confidence in the factual information. This can best be seen in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10 able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit, being watch, watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given, given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, if we know our material, the word, then we should have no fear to talk to someone about their salvation. We should have no fear of of that word evangelism. I always approach it this way, makes things a lot easier. I start by saying scripture, and it's true, scripture can only have one meaning. That if we both sit down with an open Bible and we study to find that meaning, meaning, we'll come up with the truth. But I also ask how many times does scripture have to say something for it to be a command? Well, we know that it only has to say it once for us to be required to do something or not do something. If we sit down with a person and use an open Bible, reading from the scripture as as our required source, we're gonna eliminate 99% of problems right off from the start. When we study evangelism, we need to start with the good news of, of Christ Jesus that Jesus is our savior. And there are more, but I listed four of the gospel's greatest achievements. And these are first, Christ came as our king. Mark 1, 14, 15 says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, as we read earlier. The good news, the gospel, is that Christ Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Second achievement, Christ died for our sins. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses one through four says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That third achievement, Christ rose to rule. Here Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, 7, by saying, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And fourth, Christ will return to judge the world. Romans 2.16 says, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Christ, by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. You know, from these four, we see that the gospel is the gospel of peace, hope, love, life, righteousness, and grace. These words in scripture describe to us the wonderful benefits of the gospel to the believer. One day, when Christ returns, we'll know the joys perfectly of his promise of salvation if we simply obey his word. Because the benefits of the gospel are life in heaven with our Lord, God, and Savior. Next, I wanna cover five, quickly, five motives for evangelism. Excuse me, I think everybody's had allergies here lately. Number one, first, is the obedience to Christ Jesus. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter chapter 5 verse 9 therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him and Jesus called his disciples by saying follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and when he arose from the dead he commanded them in Matthew 28 18 through 20 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations which brings number two the fear of Christ Jesus and again we continue in, in this time in second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 continuing start uh, with uh, 10 and 11 for we all must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to the to what he he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in, that I also trust that you're well known in your conscience. Now I've discussed that and had that in a sermon before about being well known to God. I want God to know who I am. The only way we we can do that is to have communication and communication is two way. God hears me through my prayers and I hear God through the scripture and his will. When Christ said "Depart depart from me for I know you not, that could, be, that could be the most terrifying thing I think anybody could ever hear. Yes, I want God to know who I am. But we need to know that Christ, that he will reward our evangelism because it's, it's one of, the, of our highest priorities. Because through evangelism, people's souls are, re, are rescued from eternal suffering in hell through the word of God. Third, the third motive for, evangel- motive for evangelism is the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. We must understand that Christ showed his love for us through the shame, the pain, the suffering, all that he experienced on the cross for our sins. You know, we deserve condemnation, but because of his love, we have the hope of eternal life in heaven with him. Fourth motive for evangelism is the message, the message of Christ. Continuing in 2nd Corinthians 5 this time starting with verse 18 through 20 Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and Has given us the ministry of reconciliation That is that God Was in Christ reconciling the world to himself Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And the fifth motive for evangelism is now is the day of salvation. Still continuing in 2 Corinthians, this time in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, we see from these that our our evangelism should be motivated by obedience to the command of Christ Jesus. The fear of his judgment, the gratitude for his love and for his message, the gospel, the good news. you know, building on these five motives for evangelism. We need to look at some, some methods of evangelism. I want to list through, I want to go through three. There are several, there are many wonderful passages in scripture that, that concerning godly evangelistic methods. And these are just, just three. Number one, and I, can, I can't think of anything more important than this, having a loving congregation. And I can think of no better example than the one given to us in Acts chapter two. You know, so many times, we, we stop at Acts 2.38. But the example given starting at, at verse, of chapter 2.42 and continuing through verse 47, it shows, us, it shows us the love and fellowship of the early church. So let's look at, at Acts 2, 42 through 47, see what it has to say about a loving congregation. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly with the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I can't think of any any greater example than that of the early church. Second, we must have a respectful manner when it comes to evangelism. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter gives the he gives the Christians who are scattered across the Roman Empire and who are experiencing persecution the perfect example and instruction concerning having a respectful manner about us. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And who is he who will harm you? if you become followers of what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And the third, and I think the most important method of evangelism is having an honest sincerity about us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul explains to us that unlike many of the false prophets and the false teachers that were out there at that time, that we are not peddlers of God's word for profit, but people of sincerity. Let's read 2 Corinthians 2.17 which says, For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now I think that, that even applies so much today that there's people that, for lack of better words, that are peddling the word of God instead of being concerned for people's souls and they're out they're out doing it to make a profit we look at several of the 501 c3s these are the ones that are the religious exemptions and uh, ngos and so many times there, there, there are several that do a great work and that's i'm not not saying that but there are there are so many that commercials on TV. They're going to sell you a little vial of holy water or whatever it is. they're out to make a profit. You know, people that run these and then they turn around and they have multi-million dollar mansions. That's peddling the word of God for profit. With these three methods though in mind, one, a loving congregation, two, a respectful manner, and three, having a loving and honest sincerity. I wanted to find an example in Scripture. And I don't, I don't think we can come up with anything better than that one that Jesus gives us, as recorded in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, which says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when they saw the multitudes, but but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers Few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Surely Jesus teaches us to have compassion when it comes to evangelism, and not just compassion, but a true heartfelt compassion for another's salvation. This isn't something that you can fake. Because if you have a false compassion, it will eventually show through. We must have a true, heartfelt compassion for our fellow man and the fate, be having concern for the fate of their soul. You know, these have just been a few examples and a quick overlook concerning having a biblical methodology when it comes to evangelism. Evangelism, it's a very important subject, and the Bible, it has so much to say concerning it. This is why preachers can spend months just on this single subject. It also is a very important subject which all Christians should strive to study. It's because it is such an important subject when it concerns not just the salvation of our fellow man, but it also concerns our salvation. Evangelism, it's, it's one of those important salvation issues that every Christian should be concerned about. But sadly, so many have the attitude that it's the evangelism is the job to be delegated to the preacher or just to a select few. And at the start of this sermon, said there was two sets of scripture, that after studying them, it gave me new insight into their meaning. Again, I must have read over these hundreds of times, but for some reason when I came across them during my study of evangelism, they seemed to jump out with new meaning. Again, we, we read Acts 4, 13 and 14, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And they realized they had been with Jesus. You know, Peter and John spoke with boldness But the council marveled because in hearing them, they realized Peter and John had been with Jesus. Again, isn't this how we're we're to speak? Isn't this how we're supposed to talk to others? They should realize simply by our speech, our confidence, our knowledge, and our commitment that we, through the word that we have been with Jesus. You know our commitment or lack thereof, it'll show through when we go to talk to others. The second and last scripture I want us to look at tonight is John chapter 1 verses 43 through 46. If you could please turn there. You know the the Gospels, each one works hand in hand with the other, each gospel account. And John has a little bit different take as far as a different perspective, and it builds on that. So here in chapter one of the book of John, we read where Jesus is calling his first disciples. First in verse 40, we read that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, first found his own brother Simon and told him that we have found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus seeing him said, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated stone or rock. So let's pick up in verse 43 where Jesus finds Philip. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Then Philip found Nathaniel, and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, I love, I love the response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, the way I understand it, after a little bit of research, at that time, Nazareth, it probably had a total population of somewhere between 100 and 200 people. I mean, it's the definition of what we would say being in the sticks. Nathaniel, now he's he's what we'd call a city boy. He probably said he probably said to himself as coming, you know, he came from a happening city where people were sophisticated and educated. But anyone coming out of Nazareth, he saw as as we would say, just a hick from the sticks. So how could anything good come out of Nazareth? But what caught me so off guard was the answer Philip gave. In that last part of verse 46, Philip responds to Nathanael by simply saying, come and see. Come and see. That has great implications when it comes to evangelism. What better advice could we get or give than come and see? Someone asked about our worship service. Come and see. Someone asked what we believe. Come and see. Someone asked about us not believing in instrumental music. Come and see. Someone asked about what we preach. Well, come and see. Someone asked what the Church of Christ is all about. Well, come and see. It occurred to me that Philip gave us the best response concerning evangelism that we could ever have. Simply, come and see. When we talk to someone about Jesus, we need to end every conversation with, come and see. You know, I've I've switched the way that I, I try to talk to people now. I try to tell them, you know, I can't promise you a worship service with a band, but come and see. You know, I won't promise you a rec center with a basketball goal, but come and see. You know, I won't tell you about our rock band concert service like others have, but come and see. You know, I won't promise you a service full of entertainment, but come and see. And I won't tell you of a service that incorporates some drama play, but come and see. You know, but what I, I will promise you is a biblical worship service so come and see you know your kids won't play games and and play nintendo or, or playstation and be entertained you know they'll have a lesson from the bible so please come and see we won't give you my opinion or the preacher's opinion we're going to tell you what the bible says Please, come and see. You know, we're not gonna tell you what a group of men decided that we should believe. We're gonna tell you what the Bible says we must do. So please, come and see. What does the Bible say you must do to be saved? Come and see. Evangelism, come and see yes philip gave us the best answer and the best advice concerning evangelism can anything come from good come from nazareth come and see you know this sermon's been focused on evangelism but at every every time we get together We wanna make sure that we extend an opportunity to anyone who has needs of the church, prayers of the church, or anybody that's made that decision to come to Christ. And as we've always said, we wanna make sure that this this invitation, yes, yes, we make it at the end of every service, but we also wanna make sure that everybody knows that that's 24 seven. We care. We're concerned, we care for people's souls. So you wanna know about our church, what we believe, what we do? Come and see. If you have any needs of the church, please come now as we stand and sing.